Very good. Well, if you got your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. And, you know, just before we get started, let me, uh, let me just invite you just silently, don't say anything out loud, but just to pray for your own heart and uh, pray and ask that God would speak to your own heart uh, this morning as we look at His Word. And then if you would just pray for me, that God would speak uh, through me, uh, through His Word as well, that would be, I would appreciate that. Father, we recognize that Your Word does not return to You void, but that it accomplishes the purpose that You have for it. And so we pray this morning that as we look at these verses, that You would speak to us through Your Spirit, that You would help us to think well about who You are and about who we are. And Father, give us the strength to do the hard thing to do the difficult thing, knowing that it is uh, for our good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a good friend who is uh, in law enforcement uh, in the U.S., and uh, he's been in law enforcement for a long time. And I remember years ago, before we moved here, uh, he was in law enforcement in a really small rural county Uh, in Texas, and uh, I would get to go kind of out on patrol with him when he would go out on patrol. And there wasn't anything glamorous that we ever got to see or do. Uh, Many times it was just rescuing cattle that had gotten out of their uh, their, uh, farm, uh, out of their fenced area, and we had to kind of get them back in. But but one day, or or one night as we were out on patrol, he had some night vision goggles. I don't know if you've ever seen night vision goggles. Um, but night vision goggles, they, they essentially, they take what is there uh, in the darkness and they take any of the light that is visible and they amplify it so that it enables you to see what you wouldn't normally be able to see, to see what is really there that you might normally miss out on. And as we come to this text, uh, it's easy for us to miss what is real about ourselves. It's easy for us to not see ourselves as we really are. And sometimes that surfaces as pride, where we start to to think that we are stronger than we really are. We start to think that we are somehow better maybe than other people around us, that maybe others aren't worthy of us, or, or, or that, that they don't have anything to offer us because we have everything we need. Thank you very much. Now, of course, we can go to the other extreme too, can't we? We can think wrongly about ourselves at the, at the low end, where we think that, that God hasn't done anything in us that is to the benefit of anyone around us, that we have nothing to offer through the Spirit. So again, sometimes pride causes us to withhold from those around us because we feel that they aren't worthy to receive from the likes of us. Uh, Sometimes that pride causes us to refuse the help of other people around us, brothers and sisters who have our best interest and God's best for us in mind as they seek to reach out to us. But our pride refuses that because we think that we are fine in ourselves. And and what I want us to see today is that both of those extremes miss the mark of Christ-likeness. As we think about last week, as we think about Romans 12, 1 and 2, we considered 
the cross. And in considering the cross, we recognized that that, that changes everything. It changes the way that we understand and respond to God vertically. It changes the way that we look at who God is and what He's done and who we are. And so as a response last week, we give ourselves freely to God's design for us and we're transformed as our mind is renewed by the Spirit. We begin to see things as God sees them. And in our text today, we begin to see ourselves rightly as recipients of grace, and not just recipients of grace, but in God's providence as conduits of grace, conduits through which His grace flows to others. See, thinking of ourselves apart from the grace of God, it pulls us into the shadows. It draws us down and in on ourselves. But grace draws us out into the open. Grace uh, grace draws us into life-giving community with one another. Because at our core, and this is what the text will remind us of, at our core, we are a people who have received from God unmerited, undeserved favor. And that changes how we live. In the weeks to come, Paul's going to get even more specific about how the grace of God in our lives changes the way we relate to one another, to our enemies, to government, uh, to law, to, to any number of things. Grace changes everything. And so what does it look like in here among us when God changes our vision of who we are through grace? What does that look like? And then what does God call us to do in response to the grace that we have received? As we look at these verses today, Paul calls us to view ourselves rightly as recipients of grace by viewing ourselves through the lens of the cross. Again, it's the the mercies of God in verse 1 that drive everything that Paul is going to say to us in these verses. It's the lens of the cross that leads us to a view of ourselves that's neither too high nor too low. Look at verse 3. Here's what he says. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. To think with sober judgment. Paul warns us here certainly of the dangers of pride in calling us to think rightly about who we are with sober judgment, thinking about what we have received. See, pride, again, thinking too highly of ourselves is a denial of the gift of grace that we have received. And pride is a a denial of my need for the cross. And again, that leads me to look down and in on myself to find what I need. And it leads me away from the people who are around me. I'm too good for you. 
You can't help me. I don't need you. Now, Paul certainly focused on pride here, but again, I just want to mention that that self-abasement is also a denial of grace. Because what it says is that I'm too bad for the cross. And if the cross says anything, it is that bad people are welcome at the cross. Because in the cross, we are transformed into Christ-likeness. And what Paul calls us to is to reorient our thinking with grace. To see ourselves through a, maybe a new lens. The lens of the undeserved favor of God received in Christ. We have, we have all received some measure of the undeserved kindness of God. This is what he says at the end of verse 3. To think of ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, this is a tricky little phrase there. What does Paul mean by the measure of faith that God has assigned? Uh, One old commentator, he listed out about seven different meanings of the word measure. uh, About uh, about five different meanings uh, of the word faith and two different meanings of the word of. It's like 70 different combinations of what can be meant there. I think it's probably one of two things. Paul either means that we think of ourselves soberly as we think of ourselves as recipients of the same gospel of grace. All of us have received the same standard of measurement, the same uh, standard of faith that is required in the gospel. We've all received the same gospel. It's also possible that what Paul means there is that we are to see ourselves as possessing a quantity of something that God has given us. He hasn't given us everything. He's given us a measure of something, of grace. But listen, here's the point. Either way, the point is that all of us have received from God grace that is undeserved. So we think of ourselves soberly, with sober judgment, as those who have received something from God. All of us share the same need for the gospel, don't we? And even though God has given us differing measures in terms of our giftedness, it is God, not us, who has given. It is from God that all of us have received freely. So either way, whether as a standard everyone has received the same gospel or as a measure in terms of our giftedness, all of us are recipients of the undeserved favor of God. There's none of us here who can stand on our own. And Paul himself, this is great, Paul himself is an example of of this very thing. He recognizes that he is a recipient of this grace as well. Paul didn't view himself as too good for the cross. Notice he says in verse 3, by the grace given to me, I say to you. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, Paul recognizes That it is by the grace of God that I am what I am. 
He calls his ministry as an apostle in Ephesians 3 a ministry of grace. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul himself recognizes that he is one who has received. And because of that, he viewed himself as a means by which others could experience the life-changing power of grace. And it's the same for us. This new thinking is grounded in the fact that Christ's death has generated a new community that is full of receivers and of which we are vital parts. This thinking leads us to see that though we're all different, We are united together as members of one unified body. Look at verses 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now this metaphor of body, it aptly describes the unity and diversity of God's people. So Paul says, you should think rightly about yourself, verse 1, because, verse 4, you have received grace and been placed into a body with other grace recipients. And we see that at two levels. First, There is an invisible and universal dimension of this in that we are all part of God's universal new covenant people by virtue of our faith in Christ. This invisible universal body of Christ exists irrespective of time and space. And so I have brothers and sisters that lived 100 years ago And 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago that I have yet to meet. And I have brothers and sisters right now, part of the body of Christ, invisible and universal, who exist and live out their faith in places like China, Vietnam, Canada. So this is the universal, invisible body of Christ, and I am a blood-bought part of that universal and timeless community through the work of Christ in me. And I'm not to look down upon my brothers and sisters in different places and times. One day, that which is invisible, one day it'll all be visible, and we'll all be together in Christ's presence from a 1,000 years ago and 500 years ago and from a 100 years in the future, we'll all be together in his presence to worship. And we long for that day. And on that day, we'll recognize together that we've all received from God what we did not deserve. And we'll give praise and honor and glory together to our Lord and Savior Jesus. That's the universal, the invisible 
But Christ's work also generates a local, visible expression of the body. And that's what Paul is thinking about here. This letter is written to a specific group of people who are struggling, who are struggling with pride in relation to one another. It's within the local church that this idea of body is lived out in a visible and tangible way, where grace is expressed in a tangible way amid the other members to whom I'm committed. This is where, look, this is where I'm primarily responsible to function in accordance with the grace God has shown me. And so we function here as a local body in a way that is birthed from and it's analogous to what we see in the invisible universal body. In 1 Corinthians 12, if you're familiar with that text, you know it's a famous text where Paul uses the same metaphor. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So so let's just think a little bit more about this metaphor because it's an important one for the Apostle Paul. First, a, a body is clearly diverse, isn't it? I mean, I don't have 400 arms or fingers. That'd just be weird, wouldn't it? No, I have differing parts with differing functions. And in the same way, the local expression of Christ's body is diverse. We we are not the same. Praise the Lord for that. We are not the same. But though it's diverse, a body is also clearly identifiable. It's a clearly identifiable unity, isn't it? Because its parts are connected. So I'm not a collection of loose limbs and organs that kind of float around me. Uh, It's clear that my arm is my arm and not your arm. How strange would it be if I came up to you and just started scratching your arm? And you said, what are you doing? And I said, well, my arm itches. So I'm scratching it. You'd say, that's my arm. Get away from me. Now, it's clear that my arm is my arm and not your arm. In fact, the the definition of a a living organism is a collection, a unity uh, that is organized and oriented towards sustaining life, right? And so it's, it's clear what is mine in my body. And so the local church is a clearly identifiable unity that is oriented towards life. And mission. This is what a a, a local church is. Now, some churches have found it prudent and helpful to formalize 
this connection where an arm can say, yeah, I'm an arm in this body. And some haven't. And that's okay. Not all churches do that. We've done it. We encourage people who want to identify with our local expression to become covenant members and to visualize that connection to us. But every church is a clearly organized, identifiable unity that's oriented toward life and mission. And the third thing, and this gets to the heart of Paul's message in these verses, because we are all recipients of grace, no part or member of the body is unimportant and no part or member of the body is more important than any other. Here's what he says in verse 6, the first part. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. All of us, Paul says, have received something of God's grace. Gifts that are different. None of us are the complete package. And that means that you have need of the grace that flows through others within the community. It means that you're needy. It means that I'm needy. But if we've all received something and no one has received everything, he says we receive gifts that differ, then you as a recipient of grace and a particular gift, you matter within the body. You are not unimportant. You know, one of the things about lockdown, and I don't know if you noticed this, but one of the things about lockdown is we became appreciative of people in our culture that did jobs and performed tasks that in previous times we might have looked over, didn't we? You became grateful for the guy that stocked toilet paper in your grocery store, didn't you? You became grateful for the, the lady that delivered all of your Amazon packages, didn't you? See, we became, we, we started to understand that these jobs that we might have at one time considered menial and unimportant are actually critical and essential. And it's the same in the body of Christ. No one's gift is unimportant. And no one's gift is more important than another. No person is more important. And once we've begun to see ourselves rightly as recipients of grace, who live with other recipients of grace, what are we called to do? He said it in verse 6. Those that have received, he said, let us use them. If you've received a gift of grace and you have, let us use them. As those who have received much grace. Listen, we have to resist the urge to look down and in. And instead, we have to look up. And we have to look out. Look up and out. We wage war against the tendency to think of ourselves more highly. And the way we do that is by looking up at the cross. It's at the cross that we see level ground. No one is better than anyone else at the foot of the cross. 
Big, tall, short, small, Irish, English, whatever. We all stand in need of, and we all stand as recipients of the undeserved favor of God. And all of us are still in the middle of our own transformation. None of us have arrived at where we will be in eternity. God is still at work in all of us. And this is part of the renewed mind that the Spirit works into us. The renewed mind is a humble mind. It is the mind of Christ. It's hard to be filled with pride if you're looking at the cross. I'm not beyond the reach of the cross, and neither are you. So, look up at the cross. And we look out by giving ourselves to the body of Christ as we see it expressed locally. That is, we allow the diverse gifts that we've received by grace to flow through us as we serve one another. And this begins with recognizing the call to be connected. A follower of Jesus is a part of his body universal. But that finds its fulfillment in his body as it's expressed locally. That means you need to be connected to a church. And that means more than just turning up. Paul doesn't say having received gifts that differ according to the grace, let us turn up. It means more than just turning up. It certainly means more than tuning in on Facebook. Virtual church is not church. Now, it was helpful, but there is more that gets expected of us. Listen, let me just say it bluntly. A a do-it-yourself Christian is a disobedient Christian. A DIY Christian, someone who says, I'm just going to do it myself, is a disobedient Christian. Now, look, I know what you're saying. I've had a bad experience in a local church. I've been hurt. I understand that. And I get that. You say, I don't want that. Kevin DeYoung said the local church is like a sleepover with teenage girls. There's going to be problems. And there will be. And maybe many of you have experienced the problems when sinners get together in community with one another. Most of the New Testament letters are written to local churches in which there are problems. And look, sadly, you and I will experience hurt and pain if we give ourselves to a local church. Because a local church is filled with people who are not yet what they will be. I said this before. If you are here today and you are looking for a perfect church, keep on going because you're not going to find it here. And frankly, if you're here today and you find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. There is no perfect church because all of us are still in the middle of what God is doing in us. And this is why we all fit in together. 
Because we all have received grace and we all need continued grace. But listen, if you want God's best for you, then you want the ministry of God's grace that only comes through the local church. He embodies his presence only through his people. Imperfectly experienced, though we experience that imperfectly now, though we wait for the fullness of that to come, this is where we experience the blessing of God's enabling presence. There's a myriad of texts that talk about that. Now again, I know what you're saying. I don't want that. I don't need that. Let me just say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You can't do it just fine on your own. You cannot fulfill the one another commands that we see in the New Testament by yourself. You can't even be obedient to what we see in this paragraph apart from other brothers and sisters that you live life with that you are together in community with. You and I need to work at loving, imperfect, and irritating people. And look at it this way. People need you and I for the same reason. Because God knows they need to work on loving, imperfect, and irritating people. There's loads of texts that talk about our weakness and the need that we have to place ourselves in a community that will encourage faithfulness in us. So it seems that God is less optimistic than we are about our ability to survive the perils of this life on our own. We need to be connected to one another We need to be in a position to experience God's grace through our brothers and sisters. See, because God has intended that grace flow through us as we give of what we have received. So he says, verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. And then we see one of Paul's lists of ways that God gifts his people. It's not exhaustive. In fact, I don't think any of Paul's lists that he gives in the New Testament are exhaustive. It's representative. So he says, If prophecy in proportion to our faith, service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul calls us here to find a way to serve among our brothers and sisters. He says, you have been graced. You have received grace, so serve. Now, how do you find your place in the body? I would suggest just start serving in any way you can, in any way that you can. I mean, that's how God works. Look, don't say, you know what, I'm not gifted in that area, so I'm just going to hang back. No, if you see a need, jump in. Because oftentimes what happens is that's the way God reveals that, hey, yeah, you do have a gift in this area. 
So we have people that stack chairs and unstack chairs and nobody says, you know what? I have a gift of stacking chairs and putting them out. I can put the chairs out so straight. No one can do it the way I can do it. Nobody says that. But people have seen a need and they just jump in to serve. So just look for a place to serve and serve. And again, oftentimes that's how God shows us this is where I have gifted you specifically. So we see a few specific things here, and I'm not going to tarry on each of these. Prophecy. Now, some see this as New Testament prophets that are giving authoritative revelation from God, which died out over the course of the centuries as the, the scriptures were brought together. Others see that as a gift that continues today. But either way, for Paul, he wants the prophet to understand that he is not to speak more than he has been given. He's not to speak more than he's to be given. That the, the, the word of God ultimately trumps the word of any prophet. Service. These are men and women who help doing what needs to be done. Teachers who take the written word of God and explain it and help people to apply it. Encouragers. You ever just been around someone that encouraged your heart? We just mourned the loss of one of three men in my life that, are more that were more influential to me than any other men. And this man had this unique ability to just ask you the question, how are you doing? And it was the way that he asked it, but you just wanted to spill your guts, and he always turned it back to encouragement. He had a special gifting from God as an encourager. Maybe you know people like that. Or people who are so generous with their resources that they go above and beyond in their generosity. The ones who lead. Uh, there are those that help to steer the church in the direction it should go and they do so with zeal and passion and you want to follow them. And showing mercy. Again, we're all called to show compassion, aren't we? But don't you know people who have what seems like a special ability in showing compassion to people who need it? These are all representative of these gifts of grace that God has given us. Not so that we can sit back and go, hey, look at what I've got. But so we can give it away as we serve one another in the body. Look, everything around us, everything around us in our culture wants to draw us down and in on ourselves. Everything. Our natural bent is toward an improper view of ourselves. And that has consequences in the lives of people around us. But we are, Paul says, above all those who have been shown the undeserved grace of God in Christ. We are recipients of grace. There is nothing that we have. There is nothing that we are that is not from him. And so as those who receive grace, we give grace as we connect and serve in the body of Christ. Not as abstract and invisible body. How can we possibly do that? No. 
and the local, visible, tangible expression of his body, the local church. So what is God calling you to give today? Where is God leading you in this? Maybe he's calling you to get up from the ground and realize that he has in grace given you something to contribute that is significant to the body. Maybe he's calling you to connect. Because the thing is, we won't make it long on our own. We need one another. There's no future in looking down and in. So look up and look out. And listen, this is not just a message for you. This is a message for me as well. Look, there's a reason that I ask you oftentimes to pray for me before I preach because I need you. There are times when I stand up here and my mind and heart is a jumble of mess and I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. And I need you to pray for me. There are times that, there are times that I wrestle with persevering in prayer. And I need you to encourage me. There are times that I experience fear as I think about the future. And I need you to come alongside and to minister to me. So listen, this just, it isn't just about you. Life is not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about God wanting to bless us all through one another and the gifts that we've received. I think of the words, and I'm going to end with this. I think of the words of Paul Tripp. They've meant a lot to me over the course of the years. He said, I've now come to understand that I need others in my life. I now know that I need to commit myself to living in intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I now know that it's my job to seek this community out, to invite people, to interrupt my private conversation, and to say things to me that I couldn't or wouldn't say to myself. I've realized how much I need warning and encouragement and rebuke and correction and protection, grace and love, since as one who has remaining sin still inside of him, it is right to say that the greatest danger in my life exists inside of me and not outside of me. And we all need the grace that flows from the cross, don't we? But we all need the grace that flows from our brothers and sisters as well. And they need it from us too. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take these words and that you would minister to our hearts through them. I pray, Father, that you would Encourage us and challenge us to give ourselves as we understand that we are recipients of grace, Father, that we would in turn seek to see that flow through us, that grace flow through us. 
into the lives of our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you would draw us out of the shadows. You would draw us into the light as a community related to one another through faith. Help us, Father. Help us, Father, to look in our visible expression of church the way your universal, invisible church looks. And we pray, Father, that the Lord Jesus would be glorified. We pray in his name. Amen.